We live in 2020, a year where branding, public relations and marketing technology will move faster and consumer interests and behaviours will continuously evolve and be harder to predict. How can you ensure you stay ahead of your competition and maximise your potential this year? In today's podcast, we'll be joined by Greta, Tony and Courtney. If you guys want to introduce yourself. I'm Tony, I'm Digital Glue's marketing, uh, digital marketing specialist, so I'm all about pay-per-click and SEO and uh, that kind of not interesting stuff, but yeah. <laughs> right, I'm Courtney, I'm the head of creative and web here at Digital Glue. Um, my background is in brand consultancy, so I bring a lot of that to the studio, but also oversee both the web development side and the design studio. And I'm Gressa, I'm the head of the PR and communications team at Digital Glue. Uh, my background is in PR and messaging, copywriting, and lead the team in social media, PR, content creation. Great, so all three special guests have recently written blogs. Special guests. Special guests. Oh, so, goodness. if you had to pick <laughs> one trend from each of your blogs that you think would make the biggest difference if implemented correctly this year, which ones would you pick and why? Start with Tony. So you want me to pick one, just one. Just one. Just one. You wrote a blog about seven, just one. <laughs> <laughs> Can you whittle it down, Tony? Uh, I'm gonna start with uh, smart bidding. So to familiarize, to familiarize yourself with smart bidding, it's something that uh, we spend a lot of time uh, predicting the amount of bids uh, on our Google Ads and also on uh, Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and uh, mostly Google. So we're doing like keyword bidding, let's say a pound for one keyword, a pound 50 for another keyword. So Google, uh, Google's AI has evolved so much in the past year, which allows us to do something called smart bidding. So with uh, different signals that you can get from data like 30 days before, you can have uh, Google to see the intention of the buyer and actually bid the right amount to win you the bid and actually win you, for example, a lead uh, a product purchase or something like that and that's really interesting because it can reduce uh, your ad spend for example you can manually bid £1.50 whereas Google's uh, AI can, can bid for £1.10 and have like 40p in uh, profit so my choice will be smart bidding into across uh, Google Ads good stuff shall I uh... I was going to say, I would have gone for one that was loosely based on technology, but I reckon we'll come back to it a little bit later on. So I think if I had to pick one thing that would make the biggest difference for clients to implement correctly this year, it would be brand collaboration. So this is something that I think is super important because obviously every single day there's probably thousands if not millions of new brands that are entering the market. And I think if you pick up the smartphone, you've got instant access to a global network of different businesses that are competing in the same realm as you are. So naturally, I think a lot of clients think that the first thing to do is differentiate themselves and kind of isolate themselves on an island. And as much as obviously we would preach that in a, in a brand session and figure out what those differentiators are, the reality is you, you just can't do that in today's market. So instead of trying to keep your eyes off of 
off of what everyone else's does and put yourself up on that hill, um, you need to be looking at who else is in your space and figure out if you guys can work together to achieve the end goal, whatever that might be. So I think something that I kind of talked about in my blog was using the example of um, Spotify and Waze. So Spotify is obviously a music streaming app and Waze is a navigation app that rivals Google Maps. Uh, and obviously they both do play within the same market. When you're driving, you're probably navigating yourself and you're definitely listening to music if you're not listening to the radio. So if you open either one of those apps, they will recommend that you open up the other one. Um, so they're opening themselves to new markets, but they're playing in the same realm. And I think that's really important to figure out who's adjacent to you and who can you leverage to pick up more customers in a, a pretty cost-effective way. So, yeah. So, collaboration. Yes, collaboration. Excellent. Funny you should say that. Mm. <laughs> so, mine is actually quite nicely linked to Courtney's. Um, I talked in my blog about working with the right type of influencers. So, rather than two brands working together, you could argue influencers are brands now. Um, I talked a little bit about how brands, and our, we've done a lot of this with our clients, could work with the right type of influencers. So, what I mean by the right type is rather than working with someone just because they've got a lot of followers, it's actually working with people who are adjacent to what you stand for as a brand. So we work with a lot of photography clients and we work with more micro-influencers for them. They don't always have the most followers, but they've got really engaged, smaller communities. Um, and we've seen the results that if our clients work with them, the sales go right up from working with those influencers. So collaboration with micro-influencers that creates genuine, engaging content, I think that's the way to go. I do have a question actually on that point. So I read your blog and I picked up on that specific piece and I think it's interesting because I agree. I think that the collaboration piece isn't just about other businesses. It, it's got to be finding the right sort of channels and influencers are that weird realm between a brand and a channel. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of clients, um, having worked on some campaigns in the past, I think people don't quite understand what we mean by micro-influencers. So what, can you give an example? Yeah, it's a good question. So I would define a micro-influencer as somebody who has got a really dedicated audience. They've probably got under 10,000 followers a lot of the time but their engagement might be higher than somebody who's got like three million followers. So you'll often see on their, say it's an Instagrammer, you'll often see their comments are full of people having conversations. They are doing a lot of work with different brands on their Instagram stories. And people are actually commenting, like really interested in what they're doing. Whereas we're finding with a lot of influencers who've got like the millions of followers, people are starting to lose trust in them. They're starting to be less credible because they are selling everything and anything. So there was a study uh, that I saw on a website about uh, an influencer, uh, a girl, I think, who tried to sell some uh, clothing and she had around two million followers. She didn't manage to get anything to sell. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I saw that, saw that one. that big are not that uh, connected to their community. So micro-influencers are better co connected to their community and they have actually a better personal relationship with their followers. So that's really important when you market new stuff, new things, new products, new services, I think. Yeah, 
you, you'll see a lot of those types of micro-influencers actually running Q&As quite regularly with their followers. Um, and I think some of the bigger influencers are starting to hook onto that. So I've seen, you know, people like Mrs. Hinch, she was probably once considered a micro-influencer and she's really grown that community and she's someone who's actually probably managed to, even though she's grown, I think she's got like 2.7 million followers now or something. She's actually sort of maintained that community. Yeah, she feels like a micro-influencer in the way that she delivers content. It still feels so accessible. You know, she shops at Ikea and Home Bargains, and I think that's, like, a huge difference. She loves to be an M bargain. Yeah, as we all do. one of us. But, you know, what's interesting, I guess, on this sort of digital marketing realm about that is I've noticed that... um, really clever brands take that orga- organic contact through um, the micro bloggers and they actually push it out through paid social and paid digital mm. marketing channels. So often I'll be scrolling through my Instagram feed and I see what looks like to be from a blogger, but when I actually go back and look at who it's from, it's from the brand itself, which is kind of like that sort of full circle piece, which I think is effective because it tricks me. So it's got to trick other yeah. people. <laughs> I think it really comes into that personalization area which I think is definitely forecasted for, to be a big trend in 2020 so it has that sort of personal touch to things does that play a part sort of in digital marketing personalization is huge in digital marketing as I talked in my blog for example we can say examples of uh, big brands uh, doing uh, some good personalization examples like EasyJet or uh, Cadbury for example EasyJet has uh, created a funnel where they can see a client searching for different uh, destination and after about 30 days they offer them custom experiences around uh, trips that they search for and also Kapuri you can see like they made a whole personalized video campaign uh, that matches the milk flavor uh, with different users based on their uh, preferences on Facebook and based on uh, their preferences or shopping intent uh, on for example if they went to Morrison's about uh, Cadbury chocolate with strawberry flavor or something like that. So they create video campaigns targeted especially to them who like strawberry flavors. Uh, personalization is huge. You can create like email journey, different products, and you can have like higher conversion rate in uh, personalization because you actually care about the client. Yeah, that added extra touch. I guess it is the same in branding as well. Yeah, I think, you know, sort of brand covers everything. And I think it's Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's a sort of iconic moment in there where he basically boils it down to a nutshell and says people just love to talk about themselves. Uh, And that's true in sales, it's true in marketing, it's true in daily life. So I think you have to think about that way as a business, you know, everything is personalized through technology. There's so much artificial intelligence through digital marketing in every single realm that means we can pinpoint exactly what someone's preferences are. So the reality is if you're just throwing out a message and and mass marketing in the hopes that you're gonna capture an audience, well, that's just not the way things are anymore. So you have to create that personal message to target that person. Um, And as a brand, it can be difficult because you can isolate people, but you need to be thinking strategically and go, you're never gonna win everybody's trust and love Uh, and that's important for a person but it's also important for a brand so instead of trying to get all these people that you never will just figure out who you need to tailor your message to and you'll be much more successful both in terms of awareness and on also your ability to convert those uh, users into actual customers that are loyal followers 
And what about um, with influence marketing as well? Because you've obviously talked about having a micro-influencer. Does that play a role in personalising your targeting? Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to sort of jump in and echo that from more of a just general PR perspective. Um, it's something that we all sort of check back for whenever we're creating any content, whether it's a feature, a press release for PR. People are selfish, so if any piece of writing that you create doesn't go back to that self, then it's probably not going to engage people. They're probably not going to care about it. Um, you know like Courtney said you can't win everybody so you can have like a general target audience you might have a certain group of people you know you want to target and then you want to look at the individual within that group you know who is your actual ideal customer that you are targeting what are their personality traits what do they care about and everything you create should be directed at them so sort of swerved your influence question a little bit there but I, I thought that was that was a client session there. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I thought that was more relevant to uh, yeah. to what Courtney was saying. So it's yeah. good to sort of follow on from that. Yeah, and I I think it is quite one of those funny things because obviously part of our job as marketeers across the board is to be a bit cynical and, and strip back into the sort of psychology behind why people buy and why people do what they do. So using that word, you know, selfish and people love to talk about themselves, whilst it might come across as harsh, I think, you know, it's real. And if you actually think about the ways that you're marketed, if you remember, you know, really compelling campaign or something that spoke to you, I guarantee if you went back and looked at it, it, it targeted something specific that you felt, whether that's emotionally or physically or, or whatever's relevant to that. So it's important that we recognize that and adapt and, and really use our marketing correctly because it's all about spend. And if you're spending your money on, you know, mass target audiences, you're not spending it wisely. I think probably where it does actually relate more to influencers is people aren't as willing to just follow anyone these days. Like there's just so much noise if you go on social media. You're a lot more picky about who you actually follow and who you engage with. So influencers now, and a lot of them have managers, um, there's loads of influencer agencies now who will advise them on how how they can target a specific audience and create content that you know really speaks to those ideal people um, I think a good example is uh, an influence called Kate Levie um, she's got a real style like a real aesthetic the sort of content she creates you know it's for a certain type of woman and she she's just got it like, I would recommend everyone to sort of have go and have a look she's just got now. it spot on go and follow <laughs> Kate Levie I'm not, not getting any commission for this <laughs> not on ours hashtags fun con. <laughs> But she's a great example. Um, she's just created a real style for herself yeah. that I think speaks to a certain type of person. I think there's a lot of influencers out there now that sort of just do an ad for a lot of things and you kind of question them and you question mm. who they're working for yeah. and who they're working with. Um, so yeah, I think personalization on that aspect is also quite key. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question. We're gonna talk about animation. So animation is not only in the branding forecast blog, but it also made its cut in the digital marketing one as well. Um, so firstly, why do you both think that this is paramount for businesses to implement this year? And then if we can take a PR from that, does animation play, play a role in that? Well, animation is huge. For example, we can say that for the past uh, two or three years, video was huge. And uh, now we have animation which has the same benefits as video, which is like uh, boosting social media engagement, 
uh, you can create uh, explainer videos that uh, engage in the, even with the lasers of the buyers, uh, increase brand awareness, and also improve your search rankings because uh, video animation can also rank as images. Uh, and we can see that uh, with recent studies that 95 of people who have watched a video explaining their product or services that they're interested in buying are actually uh, going and buying that product. So animation has the beauty of uh, creating like personalized stories, it's much cheaper to do than video, uh, it eliminates challenges that you have to explain uh, complicated products. Uh, and we can see like a lot of people using animations to describe for example uh, their business successes or uh, here a story around someone who took a lesson on three hyphenates. So animation is a way to capture uh, the image of the, uh, the person's attention uh, before rendering the text. You only have an attention span of three seconds based on studies. So on those three seconds, you have to capture the, the user and able to, be, to make him interested in your services or products. So I think like animation is gonna be big and uh, uh, Big brands and also small brands are going to explore how they can incorporate that into their marketing strategies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting even hearing that three second uh, stat in terms of people's attention span, because what's funny is two years ago we were saying it was six seconds and, and that was such a shock. I think it's true. The, the key word that comes to mind here is noise. So it's something that we're talking a lot about in the marketing realm and there's just so much content out there. I mean, from influencers to different brands pushing out stuff, whether it be blogs or articles or, or whatever it is, everybody's trying to get their voice out there. And something that's important is you may have heard the term sticky marketing, but you know, the whole idea is how, how do you say something that sticks that people actually hear and, and they want to listen to? The reality is, of course, you're going to have to have the written content, but video is king. It's the only way that you're going to stand out. And, you know, platforms like Facebook and Instagram and, and even LinkedIn, they crave video content. That is why they are constantly upgrading their technology to be able to host this a lot better and, and it kind of ranks at the top of the feed. It's exactly what you said in terms of stats. So animation isn't just a, a big forecast for the year. If you don't already have it, you're already missing out. So this is what you have to start incorporating as a business. And whilst it may seem cheaper to do a bunch of you know press releases or to look at just at it from a writing side or a blog perspective, keep it but you know there's a cost-effective way of doing animation and video and something as simple as making a blog a video instead of just writing it or changing it up every once in a while can make a huge difference in the amount of people that are actually going to hear what you have to say and, and what you don't want to do is contribute to that noise so that's why i think it's not just a forecast but sort of an urgent message for um clients to start picking up is there any sort of key markets that you think animation would be really good for so for example I know the technology, it's really hard to explain exactly what your company does. Have you ever had any other markets that would work or is, is technology the main one? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's across the board, but you know, technology and manufacturing is actually another good sector to sort of harp in on because I think you know, at Digital Glue, the thing that we always say in terms of explaining who we are is we make the, the complex, simple, and the mundane stand out. And that complex, simple piece is super important because when you're looking at manufacturers, for example, in the West Midlands, we have so many that are global manufacturers that have some niche product. 
And actually it's quite difficult for people to understand what that is. And so there's a brand awareness piece for the general public to obviously understand these great businesses sit in our area. But when you look at it from even a skills gap perspective, you've got these young apprentices coming in trying to figure out how to use a product. What do you think is going to be more effective for them to understand how to use it? A manual that's 15 pages long or a five minute explainer video? Uh, and I guess on that realm, if we look at professional services, you know, recruitment's a great one. We're working with a client right now that instead of just doing written content, they do so many videos that, that gain traction on LinkedIn. And recruitment, whilst it may seem fairly simple, there's, there's a lot of areas that are complex. So make a video, make it personal, make it something people actually want to listen and, and hear. So it's, it's pretty multi-sector, but you know, it doesn't mean that it's just B2C, it's definitely B2B as well. I think, yeah, and animation is obviously one of those really key pieces of media that you can also send with a press release. Mm -hmm. So, Greta, what, what's your opinion on that? So I would completely echo what Courtney said about making the complex simple, making it more understandable. Um, you know, we've got quite a lot of clients in the technology sector, in the photography sector. Um, a lot of the time they want to explain products that have quite innovative tech behind them, which is really exciting, but sometimes writing what makes it exciting can come across as a bit dull you know yeah, as, yeah. as good as we are at writing sometimes it is a challenge yeah. so you know actually being able to show what the product can do what the benefits are to press and to the end user you know using animation is like the perfect format for that um, so, you know, we had a product launch last year for one of our clients, um, a monitor calibrator. I won't go into details of what that is for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> you can watch an animation about it instead. You know, that was one of the things that we did as part of the launch to, to build up that excitement. Um, it created, it created uh, quite a huge... Uh... Buzz? Yeah, yeah. Like a buzz, uh, because the teaser was amazing. Yeah, it was like quite a good hook. If someone that doesn't know what Calibrator is, for example, they can literally watch this short animation and be like, well, yeah. what is it? Let me Google it. How do I find out more about it? Yeah, and I think the ultimate test for good copywriting, because everybody needs to be a good copywriter to some degree, is we say, you know, write out what you think you're going to say and then chop it down to a fifth of the size mm -hmm. of that. I think that's what animation does is you, it may take you about 15 sentences to explain what a calibrator is, but you could get it down in a one minute animation and that's enough said right there. You're giving the client exactly what they need to hear without overloading it. So yeah, it forces you to focus on the key messages because you've got a short time to do it. Absolutely. Cool. So I guess if you want any more information on the topics we discussed today, um, check out our blogs. They're on our website. That's digitalglue.agency. And of course, there's tons of content there for you guys to get stuck into if that's what you're interested in. Um, you can also follow our personal LinkedIn channels. Uh, and I guess to just kind of wrap it up, guys, obviously what we talked about today is there's tons of noise out there in the market. So you want to do something that sticks with your customers this year. If you need help, call Digital Glue. Thanks.